reading from verse 24, we find the disciples at table with Jesus. Uh, they have just finished having a meal, and the meal is where we, what we now understand as the institution of the Lord's Supper has just happened, and they are still at the table with Jesus. Starting in verse 24, a dispute also arose among them, the disciples, as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. But Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials and I confer on you, just as my Father has conferred on me, a kingdom, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you have denied three times that you know me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading continues in the same chapter in Luke, the 22nd chapter, on page 82. If you would have your pew Bibles and follow along. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because of grief. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up! And pray that you may not come into the time of trial. While he was still speaking, suddenly a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judah, is it with a kiss that you are betraying the Son of Man? When those who were around him saw what was coming, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this, and he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple police, and the elders who had come for him, 
Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a bandit? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our scripture continues in chapter 22, verses 54 through 65. Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. But Peter was following at a dense distance. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him in the firelight, stared at Peter and said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. 
A little later, someone else on seeing him said, You also are one of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. Then about an hour later still, another kept insisting, Surely this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. At that moment, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus began to mock him and beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? They kept heaping many other insults on him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Gracious Lord, be with us as we listen to your word and touch our hearts and our lives. Amen. In the mid-1960s, there was a television show that became sort of a cultural phenomenon. It didn't do that well, but a cult following arose. It was Star Trek. It only lasted a while. Then 20 years later, Star Star Trek The Next Generation came out. I'll follow you anywhere, John Luke Picard. And there is a slang that came into our culture then that we continue to use. I bet you know it. Beam me up, Scotty. Anybody with me out there? How often we wish that we could be beamed up and transported to a different place. The extended family is coming for a week of extended vacation, all of us together, and we don't have a history of good times. Beam me up, Scotty. You're supposed to be driving carpool, running late. The children's shoes have vanished. The the dog gets sick all over the kitchen floor. You grab a cup of coffee, a breakfast bar, herd the children in the car, get them to school, spill the coffee all over your work clothes before you arrive. No time to change. Beam me up, Scotty. Are you already tired of the presidential campaign? (laughs) Beam me up and take me away. Bring me back so I can vote in November. We want to be transported out of painful political divisions and out of physical pain. One woman pregnant with her second child told her physician, I definitely want an epidural. 
And the doctor said, well, when do you want it? And she said, meet me in the parking lot. So when Jesus comes riding into town on a donkey, the people want a king who will take them out of their misery, one who will overthrow the forces that threaten daily life. They want to be caught up in the triumph of a winner who promises to restore the country's greatness. Those who shouted praise to Jesus as king wanted a savior who would help them escape the brokenness and the evil that human beings inflict on each other. Lord, give us a savior on a throne, not on a cross. Certainly, Jesus did not want the cross. He prays, Abba, Papa, not the cross, take this cup of suffering from me. Abba, Papa, not the cross, find another way for me to take evil and sin, to face it and not give in. Beam me up, Lord, I want to escape, but not my will, but yours. Yet there is no other way. There is no way to break away from those who want him dead. There is no way to make friends with corrupted power. There is finally no compromise of the standard of love and justice that is the will of God. And it's not like he didn't see it coming. Jesus knew that siding with the poor and the traitor tax collectors would bring him down in the polls. He knew that standing with the ill, the lost soul, the immigrant, and the general riffraff would not play well in the press. Jesus knew that pointing out hypocrisy and injustice is guaranteed to win him enemies. He knew that compassion, justice, and mercy threatens property values and the economic system. After all, you don't want the Roman government parked on your lawn. The religious leaders suspect that Jesus will lead a revolt and all hell will break over the country. And so they say it's better for one innocent person to die than the whole of Israel. Jesus knows all this and still he goes on to proclaim what God wants. And he says, in me you see God's kingdom in the healings and the feeding and casting out evil in my teachings. You see God's kingdom. Follow me. So Jesus this night is on the Mount of Olives and he knows all too well it's too late to back down. And so he prays to be strengthened to accept God's will. The text says his sweat was like drops of blood. And the word there used does not give the image of fear, but rather the sweat of an athlete preparing for the ultimate competition. 
It is one who has been strengthened to go to the test. There's a story about Martin Luther King Jr. He received many death threats, but that night he received a call late at night, and it said, your family is as good as dead. Now, it's one thing for us to suffer abuse, but we'll do anything to save our families. And so he prayed at the kitchen table, and he said, take this away from me, Lord. I don't want it. And a wave of peace flooded over him, and he knew he could go on. I wonder if that wasn't what Jesus experienced. Jesus gets up from prayer and faces Judas and the soldiers. And you know, frankly, we would have it no other way. We know the tyranny of the God of perfectionism in whose light we always look small. We know that the God who marches endlessly towards success and power may crush us. We know that the God of terrorism leaves only devastation in its wake. So we choose a crucified Jesus, a suffering Lord, a suffering God, who will go to hell and back for us. And isn't that what you need? Isn't that what I need? Just think about our daily lives. Don't we gravitate toward those people who know what our suffering is like? Soldiers who've been in combat want other soldiers who knows what it's like without having to explain. Those with addictions want other people who can say, my life is out of control. I am powerless over this. They need that place to be honest. Those who have suffered abuse and betrayal are desperate to know that they are not the only ones. And those of us who have made awful mistakes in our own lives need finally to be gathered up in the arms of a God who can forgive betrayal, denial, and cruelty. Jesus on the cross looks down at those who have nailed him there and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In my darkest times, it has been the crucified Jesus who has given me the deepest comfort, who I believed walked with me in the pain even though I could not feel him. And I believe it is the suffering Lord who finally and gradually brought me to healing. It is in the suffering Jesus that we see how far God will go to win our love, how far God will reach out towards us, that God will enter into the pain and brokenness of human life to touch us, to welcome us, 
to call us to follow him. We see how costly God's love is. It is the beaten Jesus crowned with thorns who can do what we cannot do. For we find it almost impossible to forgive betrayal and desertion and demonic self-interest and cruelty. But he forgives. And in doing that, he takes the sin of the world upon him and absorbs it in a love that will not retaliate. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, we come to celebrate that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there is new life. There is a new beginning. That there is hope even when we find life meaningless. There is healing in this life and in the next. So thanks be to God that we follow and love a crucified Jesus, a suffering God who lived and died and rose again for us. Amen.